Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show with the host that's as annoying as a summertime mosquito, except he comes around all year long. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, uh, coming to you just before the summer solstice. Summer is almost here. And uh, I'm also coming to you 100% pre-recorded and pre-recorded a week in advance because of uh, some travel stuff that's going on. So uh, you're getting this while I'm uh, doing last week's show at the same time. Um, but on this week's episode, uh, in Pipe Parts, we're going to go continue the 101 Revisited, and we're going to talk about the shank of the pipe. Uh, my guest is uh, part-time pipe maker Kevin Foster, who I got to meet at the uh, Mule Town show and then again in, uh, in Chicago. And then uh, music and mailbag, special mailbag all about pipe shows, and a rant all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, so now, uh, starting in a couple days, the days are going to start getting shorter again. So the weather's going to start to turn. And uh, as we do that, it's just a reminder to, uh, you know, get outside, get those, get those days of sunshine, and uh, get outside and smoke your pipe again. You know, just be outside as much as you can. Uh, reminder, you know, like I said last week, uh, if you have a place that will let you sit and smoke a pipe, maybe it's a, uh, you know, maybe it's a park or something like that. Get out there, do that. If it's a coffee shop, get out, you know, support the little places that will allow us to uh, smoke our pipe. Uh, in my area, in addition to my little coffee shop, there's also an indoor-outdoor uh, shopping and dining center, and they've got benches in the middle of the uh, uh, in the middle of the center, and you know, perfectly fine to sit out there and smoke your pipe. So you can go. I can go over there and, you know, wife can wander around. We can wander around together and then you can just grab your pipe and sit down. So it's, you know, nice to, nice to be allowed to smoke a pipe. And as long as the weather's good, get out there and do that. So, all right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. This is internet radio. Excuse me, Mr. Collins, but the show is starting. They, they need you on stage. Just one minute there, Charlie. I'm placing a bid for this great item on 10bids.com. Ever heard of them? Oh, sure. The Pipe Collector's Auction Site. Well, I just sold some nice things on there myself. Say, you don't see much of that anymore. Yes, you sure don't, Charlie. But 10bids.com sure has it. They have vintage and luxury tobaccos, pipes... Accessories? You name it. Tom, baby, we need you on stage. Okay, Ed. Uh, Charlie, take over for me, would you please? You got it, boss. Visit tinbids.com, the pipe collector's auction site, and sign up for free today. Hey, uh, Mr. Collins, you won! A Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe is the perfect pal. Going fishing, take your corncob pipe and see you back at dark 30. Hunting, your corncob pipe squares, it won't make a pop. 
Relaxing and reflecting? You had your corncob pipe at Relax. Party time. Your corncob pipe doesn't produce a cool smoke for no reason. Let's just say your Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe gets you. Visit www.corncobpipe.com to get yours today. Missouri Meerschaum Company. Authentically original, authentically you. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, for pipe parts, we are talking about Pipe Smoking 101 Revisited. And this time, we're talking about the shank of the pipe. Now, the shank of the pipe is the part of the pipe where the wood comes off the bowl and eventually meets up with the stem or, in some other cases, a piece of bamboo or a piece of horn so it's the part that the bowl it's the part that connects the bowl to the stem all right now the shank is very important because it if this is where the pipe is determined if it's going to be a bent or a straight pipe all right you can't you know you can get a little bit of a bend out if the shank comes straight out you can get a slightly straight but you know it'd be ridiculous if the bend in the if the shank bent up but either way so this is this is where the pipe is it's determined if the pipe is either going to be straight or bent uh the shank holds a important purpose of holding the stem on too uh the shank is in my opinion the most delicate part of the pipe because if a pipe is going to break odds are it's going to break right at that shank juncture with the uh, with the stem, because that's going to be the thinnest part, uh, and in you know that that's just and in some cases with a long shank it might be really narrow, and then you'll you'll run into some problems there. So the shank is <laughs> it's it's an important part. It's the most engineered part of the pipe, if you ask me, because it has to come off the bowl. It has to have enough wood there to support the bowl, but you don't want a bunch of wood there because then it would look awkward. Uh, it has to have enough wood for the tenon to fit in and that end at the, where the tenon or the stem goes in, that's called the mortise. So inside the shank is the mortise hole where the stem goes in and then there's the draft hole and the draft hole is the little, is the smaller hole that connects the, you know, that makes the smoke go from the tobacco chamber into the stem. So you've got all this engineering in this smaller piece of wood, all right? And it's got to be lined up and even so that it so that the you know so that the draft hole comes through. Uh, the shank can also determine what shape the pipe is. Uh, for example, if you have a long shank and a round, if you have a long round shank and a short stem, well, that's a lumberman. But if you take that pipe and you if you take the same pipe and oval the shank, well, now that becomes a Canadian. Uh, if you're working with a bulldog slash Rhodesian, a bulldog has to have a diamond shank on it where a Rhodesian doesn't have to. So that's the determining factor in those pipes. Bowl, you know, bowl shape does matter too, but... Uh, again, it's the, you know, that's some of the, some of the design characteristics of a shank. Uh, shanks can be, uh, shanks can run up the expense of the pipe 
uh, as you're going to hear coming up with Kevin, uh, because the longer the shank, the bigger the block of wood you need, and the bigger the block of wood you need, the more, uh, first of all, the more expensive that block is, and then secondly, the more opportunity for errors or for fissures or for uh, you know natural issues to show up in that uh, in that shank. So it can make a pipe really expensive you know, or relatively more expensive to produce. And oftentimes pipe makers don't pass along the price of a long shanked pipe in comparison to what they've had to go through to get to it. All right. So, so you got all these factors, all this in that little piece of wood. And then if you have issues with it, well, you can put in a, uh, you can cut it short and put a piece of bamboo in there, which is both decorative and functional, uh, you can add horn and stuff like that. And then in the case of some of my pipes, you'll see where pipe makers have put little end caps of either some sort of, you know, some sort of uh, material, uh, you know, talking to, if you go back to talking to, to uh, uh, with Jay Mouton, uh, you'll see that, you know, he, he uses all kinds of different stones and stuff like that as that little end cap decorative part of the shank. So all that adds to the price of it. Uh, the shank, again, when you're when the pipe maker is engineering the mortise hole, well, that mortise hole has to be within thousandths of an inch of the size of the tenon. So that's when you're getting into some really fine cutting. And then the more, uh, you know, the more technical and the and the better the pipe is, well, the closer that tenon inside should be cut to the facing of the mortise hole. So you've got all this little engineering all going on in this little part of the wood that's called the shank, <laughs> and everybody else is looking at the bowl and going, "Oh, look how pretty the bowl shape is." Well, you got all this work going on in that shank there. Um, you know, and if you remember back a couple of years ago, we talked about uh, we talked to some of the veterans or the seven pipes, uh, the seven questions for seven experts about longer shank pipes being cool or smoking. Does that work? Well, you know, depends. Um, and then you look at some of the some of the pipes like the Bing's shape. That's a longer shank. So there is some benefits to it. And of course, a longer shank will also help get the pipe out of your face more. But that's the shank that's everything that is going on in that one little section of wood uh and it can cause all kinds of problems for you and uh, this is also a reminder that you know take your stem off and clean out inside the shank occasionally uh clean out the mortise hole clean out the draft hole all right there you go pipe smoking 101 revisited the shank and in just a moment my conversation with kevin foster <laughs> This is Internet Radio. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> In fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. 
Gotta run. <laughs> Just log on to smokingpipes.com or call us at 1 888 366 0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is another one of the. Uh, I, I know we're going to get to know you better, but, you know, another one of those uh, part-time pipe makers, one of those Instagram pipe makers, but uh, somebody who's actually making pipes that look like pipes, uh, Kevin Foster of Foster Handmade. Welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Happy to be here. Yeah, and we've been chasing at, after each other for a while because you ignored me after I met you at the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, at at the Mule Town show, so Mule Town, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so I yeah, just came back, came back from that, and got sick, and uh, yeah, it just happens. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to throw that at you, you know, that you ignored me and I didn't chase after you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's get to know you. Where'd you grow up? When did you grow up? Did you grow up, and why? Did did I grow up? Is a you know relative question. I was born here in Atlanta, but uh, my dad was a wine salesman so when i was 10 we actually moved to napa california and uh kind of grew up out there through high school and uh after high school came back to atlanta to georgia tech and it took me a year and a half to figure out that i am in fact not an aerospace engineer (laughs) (laughs) wait wait i'm not Uh, a rocket scientist (laughs) during that time i did pick up my first pipe so it wasn't a complete loss uh, so, so what year was that that you decided you're not an aerospace engineer? The I started in '06 and left in '08. Okay, all right. So, what what are you doing for a living? Because I, if I understand it correctly, pipe making is not your sole source of income. It is definitely not the sole source of income, uh, nor is it much of a source of income at all at the moment. But hopefully, that's going to be changing soon. Uh, no. So after I left Georgia Tech, I transferred to a, uh, another aeronautical college called Embry-Riddle, and I became a professional pilot. So that's what I'm doing now. I am an airline pilot. Uh, is it for an airline that we know, or is it for one of those super secret private ones for really fancy rich people? No, no, you would definitely know it. Let's just say that uh, I fly for a global airline, and I live in Atlanta, and you guys can fill in the blanks. <laughs> So the old Southern saying is, I don't know how you get to heaven, but I know you got to change planes in Atlanta first. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so do you often sing the song Delta Dawn when you're going to work? (laughs) Only, uh, when I used to fly to Mississippi. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, are you flying the, uh, the little tiny cute planes or one of those big boring ones or one of those super really big boring ones? It's a, it's a super heavy, big one, uh, 767-400s. So right now I'm doing mostly South American Europe, like Buenos Aires, London, Paris, Munich. Wow. Um, so that's one of those ones where you fly, where you, you, you do the takeoff, and you know, once you get up to cruising altitude 20 minutes later, then you basically take a nap for like eight hours, and then you wake up and then do the other... I- part actually quite quite literally yes because they're, they're long enough that we bring three pilots so you, you get to rotate out and uh, a third of that cruise portion is actually your break so it gets you go back to a first class seat and you can't take a nap uh wait all right so now that now i gotta ask you because there's some airplanes <laughs> that also have crew rest areas that are secret hidden spots 
That is correct. The, the flight attendants on my plane have a super hidden bunk, but you know we're not allowed to use that bunk. So what they give us is, like I said, it's, it's a first-class seat that they've put a curtain around. But you're right that some of the newer airplanes are not even newer necessarily. Just the other airplanes will have dedicated bunks. All right. Nobody's listening. What goes on in that super secret crew rest area? Anything funny? <laughs> Any stories? I, there's probably, you know, I don't know, but there's probably a reason why we're not allowed in the flight attendant's facility. <laughs> is there a smoke detector in that area? Because could I bribe my there way is. in there? <sighs> there is, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you're just busting all my bubbles here. All right. Yeah. All right. Never mind. All right. Okay. So, Flyboy. Um, how did, how did pipe smoking and why, and what did you, you know, what was the impetus for starting to smoke a pipe? Uh, I don't really have a great answer to that. Tobacco has always been, kind of been part of my life through other formats, cigars and chewing tobacco, honestly. Um, but like I said, I, I got a pipe in college. There's a tinderbox at the Lenox mall, yeah. uh, at least at the time when I was in college. And that's when I, I picked up a pipe and I, I smoked it for probably a year or so, but it just, it never really stuck. And then, you know, COVID hit. I kept smoking cigars the whole time. COVID hit, found myself with a lot of time off and just kind of thought, hey, you know, I, I kind of remember really liking that pipe. I should give that a try again. So went to another local shop here and picked up another pipe and gave it another go and fell back in love with it and obviously went uh way down the rabbit hole <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh do you remember what the first pipe was you know the first pipe in college would have been just a basket pipe and i do not still have that one thank god uh, <laughs> yeah the the second one was just the peterson bent brandy okay so you got some guidance and some into a decent brand yeah 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 uh tobacco wise did you uh follow what the uh what the folks at the tinderbox suggested i did uh and i'm sure that they had good advice to give me and i probably just youth and hubris in that department because it's <laughs> funny the only thing that i remember learning from that was that at some point i came to the conclusion that i did not like cavendish which probably meant that i was smoking you know peach aromatics or something stupid like right <laughs> well not stupid just you know what? not uh you were in you, know. you were in Atlanta where every aromatic is a peach flavor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so let let's fast forward why the why the idea that you want to start making pipes. Yeah, that's, that is funny. So, obviously as part of getting back into smoking pipes and going down that rabbit hole, um reading some books around the subject, and I remember reading in In Search of Pipe Dreams, um, the essay on how he likes to have his pipes drilled right? and finding that to be really fascinating to me. And, you know, I kind of quickly came to the conclusion that the only way that I would have to try that out would be to make it myself. And uh, bought a couple of kits from Mark Tinsky mm -hmm. to try that out. And then found actually what i did was i i found a place a, a local um they called a maker space basically it's a community wood shop um and what it is it's an old fire station so you know in the parking bays where the fire trucks used to be parked is a full complete wood shop with everything you want to have oh how cool and then in the back they've got you know 3d printers and other stuff that i don't uh use too much um but yeah so i found this community wood shop where i could kind of get my hands on some stuff and 
and practice uh, learning all these things without as much of a you know financial investment of buying the equipment right off the bat. Yeah. So and let's go back to the uh, go back to the airline pilot thing because does this help? I would assume you've also because of the routes you're doing, you've got some serious downtime during you know, in between flights, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the great part about this industry. You know, when you, when I'm at work, when I'm gone, I'm gone. You know, I'm five thousand miles away, gone. But there is a lot of downtime, and when I'm home, I'm home. There's no, I, you know, I don't have to respond to emails or anything like that. So. Especially uh, on the days, you know, on the weekdays when the kids are at daycare, it's uh, eh, whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, like like at the time we're recording, the kids are at daycare and you're not in the air somewhere. Exactly, exactly. The house is nice and quiet. I uh, stand some pipes and yeah. talk to Brian Levine. <laughs> yeah. All right. So did you? So did you just? With those kits, I'm I'm assuming you said, all right, I'm going to drill this out to like, you know, four millimeters or whatever Rick's number is. Yeah, well, with the when I got the kits, that was kind of just to practice shaping in general. And then when I when I started shaping my own on the lathe, then it's like, all right, well, let's just use a bigger drill bit, essentially. <laughs> so that's when I kind of started playing around with that. So when how long into playing around were are we buying fresh, you know, raw blocks and starting our own shaping and everything? You know, I just went and looked this up because I've been telling people at the shows recently that I've been carving for two years, and it's actually not even quite that. My first kit that I made was in August of 2021, so just less than two years ago is when I started all this. Wow. Um, did you go and work with anybody, or were you using online resources only? Or uh... I did not, yes. Yeah, purely online initially, at least. Um, the only time I've ever worked with anyone was at the most the two recent Chicago Pipe Shows. I did both of the pipe-making seminars Okay. that uh, Jeff, Jeff Grasick puts on. Mm -hmm. So that that's obviously beneficial for you, because... Uh, I mean, and listen... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic, yeah. You know, a, a fairly respected friend of mine named Neil... Uh, and I both picked up the same pipe in at Mule Town and said, "Ooh, wow!" And he ended up buying it from you. So that's right. I was honored that uh, Brian Levine's fingers were in some of my bowls. Yeah, I told Neil <laughs> I fingered his bowl before he got to smoke it. So on that note, we'll uh, take a break while everybody recovers, and we'll be back with more with Kevin in just a minute. Since its beginnings in 1876, Savinelli has become more than just a pipe factory. It's become a lifestyle. From sourcing the finest Mediterranean briar and partnering with local artisans to acquire unique accents, to expanding their catalog each year with new innovative series, Savinelli produces high quality Italian pipes that serve as a reflection of your individual tastes. With a portfolio that ranges from rugged designs fit for the outdoors to elegant pieces destined for black tie galas, Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with uh, airline pilot and uh, pipe maker Kevin Foster and Kevin, I, I, I had the great urge to say, uh, flight attendants, please prepare for recording. Um, <laughs> and then I remembered, and then I had a flashback of George Carlin's line of please remove, please return the flight attendant to the upright position. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I, forgot, I forgot about that. That was a pretty good one. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So, do you uh, do you prefer? Are you drilling first and then shaping later, or are you doing the uh, shape first, drill later? Up until now, the large majority has been drill first, shape later. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, but I've been recently trying to start to learn a little bit more of the Danish style. Um, danish style drilling so i've probably done about five or so pipes that way and i I really see the benefit but it's definitely it's a new learning curve that i'm working on yeah and with your with your pipe shaping i mean i'm assuming you started off trying to do billiards and stuff because your your work is not too far off the classics but yet you kind of riff on them yeah, I'd like to think so. Um, that, that's most of how I learned was uh, obviously, like I said, through the online sources like Pipe Makers forums and a, a couple select uh, YouTube channels and things like that. But one of the things a lot of guys on the pipe making forum really preach is, you know, just do 500 billiards and, and learn what the billiard is supposed to be. Yeah. And I, I find value in that just because there's clear, readily available examples of the target that you're trying to go for. So I, I would, I would, you know, put myself still in that phase of learning what to go for and learning why certain things work well. It's hard to argue with, you know, name X great pipe maker, why his billiard looks great. It's, I, I, you know, I'm still trying to learn why that is and find those lines. So that's kind of, that's been my approach so far. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to argue when you look at like an S bang and you can tell it's an S bang by the cheeks on the bottom of the bowl and yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a great example. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have a side uh, a shape that you that you really kind of prefer to make? To make, um, not not really. I kind of like most things. Um, you know, that that's still within a relatively classical wheelhouse. You know, I don't, I don't, I've never tried anything too figural or, figural or uh, you know, too artistic in, in that direction. Yeah. Um, uh, where do your pipes start out at price-wise? Uh, 200 And then they go up from there. I think the one that I saw was in the $500 range, and that was a big, that was a big block. That one was, I, th- I believe that one was 350 That's the probably oh. the most expensive one I ever, I've ever made. But that, like I said, that was a huge, nice piece of briar, and... Uh, that was uh, that was pipe number fifty, is what that was. So I, I tried to challenge myself and do something a little special with that. Is there a shape that's just giving you fits, and you and every time you try to make it, you just end up throwing the bowl away? Yeah, not really. I would say that uh, full bents are still a bit challenging. It's just getting the drilling exactly right where it comes in, just at the angle. But you know, I've got a pretty accurate lathe, so doing stuff like that is still. Uh, definitely doable yeah so let's talk about that you you had to go and get all the equipment now and you're Mm -hmm. i'm i'm assuming the household budget is uh all right whatever you sell pipes for that's what you can put back into the new equipment yeah 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 that's right so like i said learning at the um at that community shop which i still am a member of because there's a lot of tools there that i just it's it's not likely that I'll be able to talk my wife into allowing into the garage or the basement, <laughs> like a like an air compressor big enough to run a sandblast cabinet, for example. But you know that, that shop they had a couple of wood lights, so that's how I learned and uh, graduated from there. So I quickly, kind of realized that 
the wood lathe is great, especially for certain shaping things. But when it comes time, there, there's definitely operations where a metal lathe is the preferred tool. So I, I did. I purchased my own metal lathe. That's in the that's in the garage because I couldn't get into the basement. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So basically, all I have at home now is uh, is that metal lathe and a, and a shaping wheel, and that's uh, where I do ninety percent of what I do. And the rest, I make the short drive over to the community shop. Wow. All right, so you get to travel around the world. Are you taking a pipe with you and tobacco with you? Occasionally, um, because a lot of times there's just not there's not there's not as much time as you think there's going to be. But you know, sometimes you end up with two days off in a in a place, and that's when I'll I'll bring I'll bring a pipe and tobacco in that case. So, do you want to name drop on some of the uh, places that you've actually, you know, that you've been able to fly to for work, getting paid to fly there, and you've gotten to smoke a pipe? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, definitely Paris. Uh, it's very smoking friendly. Uh, you know, just kind of sitting out at a little outdoor cafe. And same thing with Buenos Aires, actually, is uh, kind of similar. And that's actually, that's even especially nice because Southern Hemisphere, that's, you know, it's wintertime, cold around here. It's a, a special treat to be able to go down there, sit outside, you know, have a have a nice beverage and uh, smoke a pipe for a couple hours. On your uh, on your layovers, do you have enough time usually where you might be able to get out to a tobacco shop or or a pipe shop and see what's around? Usually, yeah, that, that's one thing that I will try to do um, on a layover. Most most layovers are about twenty four hours, so you land in the mornings. Um, you know, getting the getting the shuttle van, which usually it can take up to an hour sometimes to get to the hotel, which is usually in the downtown area. And then, you know, you land in the morning, you're fighting the same traffic as everybody else. So you get in, you got to take a nap because you've been working all night, and then get up in the afternoon. And that's usually when I'll, I'll have to try to go take a walk and go do something, uh, get a little bit of physical activity. So I'd like to take a nice long walk, and that's when I'll I'll go tobacco uh, shop hunting. And, and then back to the hotel that night for a sleep and get up early in the morning and head back yeah, to the, yeah. usually meet, meet with the other, the other crew members and get dinner and then come back and sleep again. Do you always get to fly with the same, uh, cabin crew or do you have to meet new people every day when you go to work? It, it's much more meeting new people every time. Occasionally you'll fly with some, some of the same people, but, uh, it, a lot of times it's new. So <laughs> you never know. You might, you might get a real ringer the first. You know, or... Yeah. 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 I think at our company, there's 14,000 pilots and probably 20 something thousand flight attendants. So obviously when we're talking about going to Paris and Munich, the, the senior, the senior people will gravitate towards that. So that's when you, you, you will start to have some of the same people. Um, yeah. So how did you at such a young age get that senior route? What's the deal? Who'd you bribe? The deal is, so everything's all seniority based. The deal is I have enough seniority now that I could be a captain on a domestic airplane, but I'm the co-pilot currently for the international stuff. So that's just kind of a lifestyle trade-off that I've made. I basically, I get to spend more time at home and I get to go to these nice places. Um, yeah. So in, in, uh, in, in the lingo, you're flying the second seat. Correct. Yeah. I'm the first officer co-pilot. Yeah. You're the one that actually does the work. Yeah. 
All right. So what's the what's the goal with pipe making? Is it is the goal eventually to maybe go full time, or is it this is just something that's still going to remain a uh, a yeah, secondary? Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine this being a full time thing for me. At least not until I retire, which I have another probably thirty years until that happens. Uh, so yeah, this will this will remain a, a part time uh, deal for me. I'm really just doing it because I, I really love doing it. It's just a passion for me. Um, How many? So that's what it'll be part time. Do it when I when I've got my free time and try to keep getting better. How many pipes a year do you think you'll be able to make? You know, I, I am, I'm still slow at it because I like to try to put out something that I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. But I also I've, I have pipe number 63 on my bench right now. So there's a lot of things I'm still learning and I'm getting more efficient as I go. Uh, but it's still a slow process and everything is so shop time is so sporadic, like I said, with flights and kids and everything else. So it's hard to really predict. Like, so in two years, almost two years, I've done 63. Yeah. So it's enough for you to pay for new equipment and maybe a couple of trips to pipe shows. Although I, I would, I'm guessing you really don't have to pay for airfare going to a pipe show. Yeah, that's that's a huge benefit to for me being able to make it to the shows. Um, is yeah, exactly. I don't have to pay for airfare. Yeah, ex- that's right. It pays for tools. It pays to buy a couple of pipes every now mm-hmm. and then, and uh, I'm happy with that. How often, when you're home, are you getting a chance to smoke a pipe? Probably at least once a day. Okay. Is it more of an evening when the day is done or is it kind of a whenever the time is? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Usually in the evening after the day. And then also sometimes if I'm doing something a little bit less, you know, hand required tasks in the shop, I'll smoke while I, while I make the pipes as well. Yeah. So that's, I mean, and then, and then I guess, you know, one of the things that I like about some of you, part-time pipe makers is that you're predominantly making pipes that you want to make versus, you know, having to make a pipe to make an income. You're making the pipe because you're in the mood to have fun and, and explore something or go do something. Yeah, absolutely. Everything I do is because I love doing it. So you're, you're right on that. Uh, was mule town your first pipe show that you, that you sold at? It was. Yeah. So two, Two Chicago's ago was my first show ever, but I didn't sell. Well, actually, I did not intend to sell anything, but I did sell a pipe at Chicago two years ago <laughs> to a friend, the new friend that I met there. I brought a pipe that I hadn't smoked yet and uh, just brought it out at the smoking tent and uh, there was interest in it. So, uh, but you no, know, my first table and actually, you know, making an effort to sell a pipe was at Mealtown recently. And then, of course, you were at the most recent Chicago show where you yes. completely sold out of, what, nine, ten pipes that you had? Yeah, I brought nine pipes, and uh, yeah, I was really lucky. There was a lot of good interest, so I sold all nine of them on the first day of the show. So that was it. You just flew home early. <laughs> no, no, actually, that was great. I got some uh, some time to just enjoy the show on my own, which was, uh, which was nice. It wasn't tied behind the table. <laughs> Yeah. So when you were on your own, were you out looking at other pipe makers, seeing what other what other stuff is out there? And now that you've been yeah. making pipes for a couple of years, does it make you look at them differently? It really does, and that's one thing that I found really interesting too. I, I will go, I'll go annoy all the other pipe makers that I respect and and uh, other you know estate sellers because they've they've just touched and 
been around pipes so much longer than I have. And I still, I just find it incredible. It's just, you ask them for feedback and you hand them a pipe and they'll pick it up and just, they've got the way they run their fingers along it and they look at it and they, they have a whole list of things that they can tell you about anything. And you kind of look at it and go, hmm, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did, did you notice any, any pipes at Chicago or at Briarworks at their, at the Mule Town show that kind of stuck out in your mind as something that kind of that inspired you or made you go, I'll never be that good or. Yeah. At the, at the Mule Town show, Grant Batson and Tyler Lane were both there and both of them were so generous in offering me some feedback and everything and showed me their pipes and even were critiquing their own pipes and said, Oh, you know, look at this right here. I could do that a little bit different. Nate King as well, it, just being so generous with their time and offering me some, some feedback and bringing me over to their tables and showing me exactly, you know, Nate King showing me exactly how to look inside of the airway and the last inch of the button and explaining how important that is and how to get that tweaked in just right. Uh, it's just such a great experience to meet these people and, and, look at their pipes and hear what they have to say. And they're all so generous with their, with their time and, uh, and expertise. And, and then to come back from a show and say, look, I sold out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I barely paid for my hotel room. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, Kevin Foster, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? I will try. What is your favorite pipe? Hmm, my favorite pipe right now has got to be an acquisition I made at Mealtown, actually. Uh, I bought a small Prince from Nate King, and that thing just smokes so wonderfully. Uh, the button and everything, just it just sit so for being such a long pipe it just sits so right in your mouth uh, it's great and there goes the profits from that show uh, <laughs> what is your favorite tobacco you know i'm on a mission right now to find aged examples of things like that are still readily available mm -hmm. so right now what i have open my favorite is an aged haddo's delight and when you mean aged how many years are we talking this is probably, I think, 12 years old. Okay. So, yeah, we're, we're talking aged. Yeah. Um, what other? I, I made the mistake early on of going too wide with my cellaring instead of narrow, and I'm trying to correct that. <laughs> what other current production ones are you looking for aged, and, and have you tried? You know, I'm, I'm really finding that Virginia's and Virginia Creek's aged are what I really like uh -huh. the best. I, I was going for the you know very strong English and uh, and Balkan blends, but I've kind of reversed track on that quite a bit. Um, so basically, I'm just trying to try every vapor age that I can get my hands on. <laughs> <laughs> and all right, what is uh, what is the uh, what is the favorite drink of the second seat? A Manhattan when it's cold, and then a Grony when it's hot. And you can't drink within how many hours of uh, reporting for duty? So that that changes internationally too. Uh, oh. So twelve hours internationally, uh, or I think that I think the rule is actually only eight domestically. But you can you know the, the tolerance are it's basically zero. You can't have obviously yeah. any alcohol in your system. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? I'll go music. 
And then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory? Yes, just the the whole experience of that first show I went to, which was Chicago two years ago. Um, just everything about it, meeting the people. I didn't know a single person there. Uh, I just showed up and took that the pipe making seminar and met a whole bunch of new friends, and everybody was so welcoming. And uh, I don't know. I just I didn't know how much I needed that in my life, but it was great. All right, I'm going to add one more because I'm nosy and I fly a lot. And I'm not going to ask you about the scariest moment in a uh, uh, in a cockpit because I don't want to hear that shit. Um, I am going to ask you if you have any really memorable moments in the plane. Anything, you know, the northern lights, flying over a hurricane. I, I don't know, any any sights from the, from the front of the plane because I can never see out the front window. Yeah, you know, uh, I, the Northern Lights is something that I've always wanted to see, but have not yet. There was one time in training down in Florida that I saw a space shuttle launch from the from a little Cessna. Ooh. Um, every time you fly into Vegas, so you get great views of the Grand Canyon, so that's always nice. Yeah, all right, I'm jealous. Okay. Um, doing the river visual in the DCA is always cool. You get to see, you know, you're flying below the Washington Monument as you come down the river. That's cool. Yeah, that that's really scary as a passenger because all you see is water, 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 and then er, oh shit, there's land. Okay, good. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, no website. It's on Instagram at Foster Handmade. F O S T E R Handmade. Uh, I'm assuming that's the only place you post or sell through. Or yeah, that's right. That's all I have for now. Yeah. So follow Kevin at Foster at Foster Handmade. Uh, Thanks for finally coming on and not turning me down the second time. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. Thank and, you. And if you ever switch to American Airlines, you might actually see me on one of your flights because I live in Charlotte where we're... That, yes, that's true. I don't blame you. you got to <laughs> do what's convenient. <laughs> yeah. But uh, thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian. And we'll be back in just a minute. Hi. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal. We know pipe smoking is a personal journey. That's why our small team of blending and production experts take a personal approach in every step, preparing tobacco products just for you. We source top quality leaf through the personal connections we've made around the world, hand blend that leaf, and carefully package each tin. Each product, from special releases like our small batch line, to our most popular mixtures like Autumn Evening are made right here in South Carolina by professionals dedicated to providing the finest of smoking experiences. Lighting up a pipe is an exploration through evolving flavors, thoughts, memories, and even dreams. From our hands to yours, Cornell and Deal tobaccos are your passport for that voyage, provided by people who, like you, value the journey. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And, you know, I really do enjoy these uh, part-time pipe makers or not, you know, people that are doing it as a second, as a side gig. Because, again, I think they uh, they get a chance to really enjoy what they're doing and they're doing it for fun and the fun kind of shows through. Now, the bad part is, you know, they just don't make that many pipes and you just kind of have to catch them when, uh, you know, catch them when you can. So, all right, this week for music, um, 
thanks to uh, Scott for sending this along. The song is called Wicked Game, and I'd heard the song before, but this is a band called London Grammar, which is uh, two young guys, a keyboardist and a guitarist, and a young lady singer who I've never heard before, but you know what? I, I have a feeling they might uh, they might they might be doing places. It's a band called London Grammar and this song is Wicked Game. This is what I love about music. You can find an artist or a, or a little group like this and spend, you know, several hours going through their videos on YouTube or their music online and finding all kinds of, uh, you know, finding all kinds of interesting interpretations of other songs. And then you get introduced to new songs and then you go down a rabbit hole. But uh, thank you very much to Scott for sending that along. Uh, again, look him up. It's London Grammar. Oh, boy, we've got a message. 
Mailbag comments or questions can be emailed directly to me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com. That's B-R-I-A-N at PipesMagazine.com. And because we're pre-recorded, there is uh, nothing to come up with for the mailbag. So we'll talk about pipe shows, all right? Here's the list of the upcoming pipe shows. It starts off in uh, August 18th, 19th with the NASPC show in Columbus, Ohio. Then September 16th, the Capital Land Pipe Show in Albany, New York. Then October 13th through the 15th, the Las Vegas International Pipe Show in Las Vegas. And more on that in just a minute. And then in November, is on Saturday, November 11th, is the Texas Pipe Show right outside of Dallas. All the information and links can be found on uh, pipesmagazine.com. Wanted to talk to you in particular about the Las Vegas International Pipe Show. Um, I touched on this a little bit in the interview with Mike Murphy. Uh, and uh, so here's what happens. So the pipe shows, like, uh, like the one that Dave and I run, uh, we have to put down deposits and payments in advance for stuff. So in order to incentivize everybody to help us offset that, because that's just money out of our pockets, because... We don't have a club with a treasury or anything. Uh, we're giving away three nights for free in the hotel. And the way you get that is you register, pay your registration in advance, whether it's a table or an attendee, and you book your room before July 1st. Do both those below, before July 1st. And we are going to draw... From, those, from that list, one attendee is going to get three nights for free, and one person that's taking a table is going to get three nights for free that weekend in October at the Palace Station. And you're going to find out about four or five days before the show. So once you check in, you'll see that you're going to get three nights for free, and you'll have more money to spend at the show. Or if you've got a table, well, you'll have more money to give discounts to people with. I'm, I'm just kidding about that. Um, so that's one of the ways we're incentivizing you to do that in advance. Also, if you book before, uh, on or before September 10th, when our final deposit is due, uh, the admission rate for all three days is $45. And after September 10th, it goes up to 50 and the tables go from 180 up to 200. Uh, if you go to Las, so you want to, you want to at least do that, go online, pay it, vegaspipeshow.com get all registered uh right now as as i'm speaking here a week ahead of when this show comes out we're down to the last uh 15 or 20 rooms that we have available in the room block and i'm uh, waiting for an email from the hotel to see if we can expand the room block a little bit uh one of the, so one of the problems we have with the palace station is uh, they're very kind to us and allow us to smoke anywhere in our ballroom space and they also give us uh, pretty much carte blanche over who goes on the 14th floor, which is the smoking floor. And they're one of the few hotels that still has a smoking floor. Uh, but they've only got 500 rooms or so in the entire hotel, and they won't give us all the rooms. So those of you that are listening to this and those of you that have booked early, well, you're going to get rooms. <laughs> and the rest of you? We'll have suggestions of other places to stay nearby in Las Vegas, or you can stay down on the Strip or, you know, do all that stuff. Um, anyway, so the pipe show itself, the Las Vegas International Pipe Show, uh, really gets started probably Wednesday evening. Dave may have the, uh, the suite open uh, on the 14th floor. 
but by Thursday, that's when all the room hopping starts on Thursday night. We'll have uh, anywhere between uh, three to three to ten or twelve rooms open on the 14th floor, and there may be people in there selling stuff, and you can hang out, or there may just be people just hanging out in their rooms. Uh, you can also go buy your own uh, beverages at the 7-Eleven across the street or at a liquor store nearby and bring them back to the room so you get that savings. Uh, that goes on Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night, and then usually by Monday everybody's uh, everybody's checking out. There'll be a few left on, uh, on Monday night hanging out and around. Uh, then the show itself really gets started at uh, 5 o'clock Friday night where we open up the lounge area, a couple thousand square feet with tables and chairs and a cash bar, and you get to come in and hang out there or go up to the 14th floor if you're a guest of the hotel. Uh, You do need to have a room key to get up to the 14th floor, so if you're not a guest of the hotel, find somebody who is, or find myself and Dave. We should have a few uh, elevator passes for you. Uh, that goes on for, so the lounge stays open from five to midnight. The bar will close at 11. All right. And then Saturday is all day. Uh, room opens at 8 a.m. for exhibitors to come in, set up. And then the show opens at 10 and goes until five. And then, uh, <laughs> then we quickly try to get people out of the room and secure the room where we hire a security guard to stand there and watch the room. Because uh, we keep the smoking lounge open until midnight again. And that Saturday night is our uh, awards dinner. And this year, instead of a featured guest, I'm going to announce it here f- second. <laughs> we're having what we're calling the Pipe Show Game Show. And it'll be interactive with members of the audience doing uh, traditional kinds of uh, games that will be pipe and tobacco related. And more on that when we put the details on our uh, on our website but it's a dinner it's 65 dollars for the buffet and you get a chance to sit and smoke a pipe at a dinner table which for some young people was very shocking and they're still traumatized by it uh anyway the lounge and uh and the second floor up there stays open till midnight then we lock it and throw everybody out opens up the next day at 9 a.m for exhibitors 10 a.m to the public and then closes at three and then we start chasing people out of the lounge by five. Uh, your $45 admission gets you into the second floor for all three days. You also get a uh, drink ticket good at the cash bar for one alcoholic drink or two non-alcoholic drinks. Uh, you get a, a souvenir tote bag with this year's sponsors on it. And you get your little uh, button. And we are going to require people to wear their little buttons while they're on the show floor because that's part of the... Uh, smoking policy of having a little trade show event like that. And that's what lets us smoke on it. Uh, Do make sure and go through the Las Vegas International Pipe Show's website. As exhibitors have paid for tables, we've already got about 75 of them committed for. Uh, As exhibitors have paid for tables, we've been putting that list on there. And then uh, right around the uh, third week of September, we'll probably start... uh, assigning tables because we'll know pretty much how many we have uh we also have raffle prizes uh raffle prize items are donated if you're coming to the show and you have something that you'd like to donate great everybody that books their admission and pays for their admission before september 10th 
you get five free raffle tickets plus you're going to pay $45 instead of paying 50 at the door or 50 after September 10th and uh, so you already get five free raffle tickets raffle tickets are a dollar each you can get yourself another 20 more and that's one of the great ways to support the show um i feel like i'm missing something but uh yeah oh the social media studio uh we are the only pipe show that i know of that gives a specific place with electricity and some little lighting for youtubers or podcasters or instagrammers to hold court and record their shows from so if you look on last year you'll see that there were several things recorded right there at the show uh all you have to do is uh Search on YouTube for Las Vegas International Pipe Show or LVIPS or hashtag Vegas Pipe Show. Uh, but check those out. And if you are a YouTuber or an Instagrammer or a podcaster and you want time at, that, at those places, the time there is free. That's a spot that we are giving you all for you to do your show from and uh, have a chance to, you know, you might be able to get a grab Jeff Grace and bring him over and, you know, have a 10 minute sit down with him on camera. Or grab Nate King and do that. Any of the exhibitors, uh, Jeremy Reeves from uh, Cornell and Deal will be there. Grab those, you know, grab those guys and pull them over and you know have them uh, have them right there on camera. I believe Eric Stokeby is coming this year, so uh, and that's not on the website yet. So you guys that are listening are hearing stuff. So if you're interested, email me. Uh, email information's on the website. Go to Las Vegas International Pipe Show. Remember, last few rooms are uh, are available now, and then once we're sold out of rooms, we are sold out of rooms, and we'll have alternative locations for you. But uh, all the information's there. Comments or questions, mailbag stuff, Brian at PipesMagazine.com, Las Vegas International Pipe Show. Go check out the website. Lots going on there. And again, the, you know, we realize it's expensive to get to Las Vegas, but you know what? it's a lot of fun and you meet a lot of people and you get to see a lot of stuff and get to try a lot of different tobaccos and have a good time. So hope to see a lot of you there. All right. In just a moment, rant time. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the every man alike. And our workshop too is a place of hospitality and warmth. Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning, to managing our store, to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Mielefalje, 100,000 welcomes. Wherever you come from, whosoever you be. There's nothing quite like a good book. Or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. Cowboy. Cowboy.
Here is a rant somewhat based off of what I said last week, and it's called Being Wrong is Okay. And this is a message to all you young people out there, alright? I recently had an interaction with a young person who was trying to learn how to exercise and uh, got caught on video completely doing it the wrong freaking way, the most dangerous wrong way possible, and kept telling everybody, no, that's right, that's right, and I'm okay, and that's right, and it just slipped and whatever, blah, 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 blah. Well, here's my thing, and this is how you, this, this is a life lesson for everybody. One, young people, you are going to be wrong more than you're going to be right. All right, you are going to be wrong more than you are going to be right. Uh, I believe Edison said, you know, I tried to make a light bulb a thousand different ways and I found a thousand different ways to make one that didn't work and then I finally found one that did or something to that effect. So one, you're going to be wrong more often than you're going to be right. And two, when you are wrong and your advisors or elders or somebody with more experience in that area is pointing it out to you, well, just suck it up and say, oh, okay, I didn't know. We don't expect you to know everything. We don't expect you to be right all the time. As a young person, you don't have the experience. So when elders or people with more experience tell you something, listen to them and try to figure out why and learn from them. And it's okay to be wrong. The only way you get to try stuff is by trying it. And you're not going to get it right the first time. When you first pick up a baseball and a, and a bat, you automatically do not start hitting home runs every time. You had to be wrong an awful lot before you got the muscle memory in order to be right. When we first started smoking pipes, we didn't get it right from the start, but we kept trying. So just remember, you're going to be wrong more often than you're going to be right in your life. And keep being wrong because that's how you get to learn new things. All right? Keep being wrong and admit when you're wrong and seek advice from people that know. There you go. All right? It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to put out a bad podcast every week. Look, I do. All right. Uh, with that being said, thank you very much to Kevin for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather happy trails to you till we meet again